Hello. I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense Bloggers Roundtable for Tuesday, February 15th, 2011. My name is Petty Officer William Selby with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating our call today. A note to the bloggers on the line, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Respect our guest's time, keeping questions succinct and to the point, and if you are not asking a question, we ask that you please keep your phone on mute. Today, our guest is the Honorable Robert F. Hale, Under Secretary of Defense, Comptroller, and Chief Financial Officer of the U.S. Department of Defense. Uh, Mr. Hale will be discussing the fiscal year 2012 DOD budget proposal. Sir, with that, uh, the floor is yours for your opening statement. Well, thank you, and uh, good morning, and I appreciate the chance to be here. Let me say just a few words about our budget proposal, and then we'll go to your questions. The budget we sent uh, to the Congress yesterday asked for $671 billion of budget authority for fiscal year 12. Uh, That includes both our base budget and also the uh, Overseas Contingency Operations, or OCO, spending. Total budget spending is down from 15 to $35 billion between fiscal 11 and 12. The range depends on whether we end up under a continuing resolution or, or our request in fiscal 11. Uh, but in, regardless, the total is down. The base portion of the budget does increase modestly in real terms for the next few years. As we invest these dollars to meet our national security requirements, we follow several themes. Our most important uh, goal is to take care of our people. We propose a pay raise for military personnel of 1.6%, about $8.3 billion of family support spending, substantial funding for military health care. We're also continue to focus on current wars, for example, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets we need for irregular wars like Afghanistan as well as elsewhere, rotary-wing assets, uh, building partnership capacity. We're modernizing broadly for future conflicts, uh, aggressive modernization of our tactical air fleet, our ships, new bomber program, a ground vehicle program, and finally uh, supporting our deployed troops, especially those in uh, war zones with all of the resources they need, including financial resources. While we're accomplishing national security goals, we recognize the country has got serious economic problems, and we are working to tighten our belt and be sure uh, that we make defense dollars uh, go as far as they can. Uh, To that end, the Secretary has continued his reform agenda. Uh, We have uh, looked at options focusing on our business operations that saved $178 billion over fiscal year 12 through 16, reinvesting $100 billion of that in uh, high-priority warfighter needs, and using the $78 billion to accommodate a top-line cut that supports the administration's effort to hold down the deficit. Let me just highlight a couple of the key issues that fit in that reform agenda. There are dozens of them, but I'll pick a couple that I hope are of interest uh, and I think are of significant interest on the Hill. We have proposed some reductions in ground forces in the out years of our future years plan in fiscal years 15 and 16, a cut of 27,000 in Army end strength and a 15 to 20,000 in Marine Corps in strength. This is a conditions-based proposal, the conditions being that uh, we assume the military commitment in Iraq has ended and that most of the military commitment in Afghanistan has ended. And those uh, force cuts uh, save about $6 billion over the uh, five-year period. We have proposed uh, several terminations of weapon systems. Uh, I'll focus on just one, the Expeditionary Fighting Vehicle, the Marine Corps' EFV. 
Uh, we propose ending that vehicle because, frankly, we can't afford it. Uh, if we looking at it the 10 years beyond our our future years plan, uh, the EFV would have consumed about half of the total Marine Corps procurement and nearly all of the ground forces procurement using historical averages, and as a vehicle that was in, uh, aimed at a, a niche high-end mission. Instead, we'll remain committed to marine amphibious capability, but we will reinvest uh, the funds from the EFV in a new and more moderately, uh, a new vehicle aimed at meeting more moderate set of requirements and also upgrading some existing vehicles. And the third one I'll mention in terms of the reform agenda is a package of changes to the military healthcare system that one, look for efficiencies, for example, by reducing contractors where we can, also by changing pharmacy co-pays for beneficiaries to provide more incentives to uh, use efficient means of delivery like mail order and also to use generic drugs. We have some equity proposals here, including a modest increases, increase in the enrollment fees for the TRICARE uh, military health care system. Uh, we will increase those fees, which haven't been <clears throat> increased for about 15 years, by $5 a month uh, for those uh, who have family coverage under what's called TRICARE Prime, and $2.50 a month uh, for those with single coverage, and we'll index those fees uh, to a health care index. And finally, we propose phasing out some special subsidies uh, for uh, hospitals, some hospitals that provide military health care, so that we are paying all of our hospitals in a similar manner. That is a brief review of our fiscal 12 proposal. I'd like to stop there, uh, but unfortunately, we face a significant problem in the current fiscal year, fiscal 11. We are on a continuing resolution, which essentially says spend this year and do this year what you did last year, at least through March 4th, and the possibility uh, that we could be under a year-long continuing resolution. A year-long continuing resolution would pose serious problems for us. It wouldn't provide enough resources uh, to properly meet our national security requirements. It would feature a $23 billion cut compared to our proposal, and halfway through the year be very difficult to accommodate. And it wouldn't give us the flexibility we need, nor the management flexibility that we need. We couldn't, for example, do any new starts. Uh, we couldn't increase procurement rates. And some of these problems are already occurring. For example, we've got 50 military construction projects on hold right now that would normally have been awarded, but we can't do so under the current CR. The Army has imposed a temporary hiring freeze on civilian personnel, so if a tank mechanic position or a training clerk becomes vacant, we can't fill it. The Navy has been unable to award the contract for the 2nd Virginia-class submarine and is struggling to avoid workforce termination at the shipyard. We need an appropriations bill with reasonable funding. I've been watching or working in and around defense financial management for more than 30 years. is at least as serious a situation as I have ever seen. Secretary Gates has called it a crisis at our doorstep, and I think he's right. We applaud the House proposal that's currently being debated. It is, for us, a, an appropriations bill. But we are concerned about the level of resources in that bill. Secretary Gates has said that we can come down some from our request, given the policy changes in the last year, but we need at least $540 billion, especially this far into the fiscal year, to properly meet national security requirements. The House bills are more like 532, 533. So we hope that working with the Senate, uh, they will get us an appropriations bill, uh, but a level of funding, at a level of funding that can properly meet our requirements. With that, I will stop and say I would be glad to hear your questions and try to answer them. 
Thank you very much, sir. And I believe somebody else joined during your opening statement. Can you give me your name? Yep, this is Kristen Major from Aviation Week. Kristen, and what was your last name? Major, M-A-J-C-H-E-R. Thank you very much. And uh, Andrew, you are first, so you can go ahead with your question. Thank you. Sir, good morning. Andrew Lubin here at Levenek Magazine. Thank you for taking the time this morning. Hi. Sir, I've got a question. Good. Sir, I've got a question here that combines both fiscal year 11 and fiscal year 12. Uh, with the littoral combat ships, instead of one platform, you've contracted for two. Uh, and in the recent hearings, they refused to tell Senator McCain how much each ship cost. In view of the how poorly naval shipbuilding performed in the LCS program, and also with the San Antonio class ships, what, wouldn't we be better served with keeping ships like the already paid for NASA commissioned instead of trying to take her out of commission and, and replace her you know, years down the road with expensive ships that are that are over that are yeah, poorly built? Well, I mean, the LCS certainly has some substantial cost growth. Uh, we think we are beyond that and have entered into an efficient uh, uh, way of procuring it, the, uh, the block buy of 20 ships. Uh, we think over the next year the Navy estimates will save them about a billion dollars over the next five years. Uh, and it is a vessel that we believe we need in light of the increasing importance in littoral uh, operations for the Navy. So we think we're at the right place, recognize that its costs were certainly higher than we expected five years ago even, um, but uh, I believe we are moving forward appropriately now, and I think the Navy would certainly share that view. Wouldn't it be, can I say, can we kind of follow up? Uh, as long as it's a quick follow-up. Just quick, sir. And then, but why take the Nassau out now? If you're if you're looking at ships five years from now, you need you need platforms today, not platforms in five years. Well, we follow a pattern of, of uh, retiring ships uh, when we when they are old and no longer their operating costs are increasing and we no longer need them. That's a normal pattern we follow. We're at just under 300 ships now. I think 288 in the fiscal 12 budget. We would like to get up to the 300 level or a bit above. But uh, I mean, I think I will leave it to the Navy to uh, make the right judgments about when ships are sufficiently old and and that we no longer need them and we need to move to get them out of the fleet, keep down operating costs so we can afford new ones. Hey, thank you. Okay, and Tom Goring, you were next on the line. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. My name is Tom Goring from Navy Cyberspace, NavyCS.com. My question is, uh, with the economic assumption of non-pay inflation of 1.4% for FY2012, excuse me, uh, is that a high enough number to be figuring our, our, our numbers with, sir, to, to create the budget when I'm looking at estimates of being anywhere from about 35 to 3.8% for inflation for 2012? Ooh, I hope. Um, um, I don't. I don't recall any assumptions that high, at least in the administration's projections. We use the projections of the Office of Management and Budget in our uh, projected inflation. I certainly don't recall. I mean, their numbers are obviously much lower. We are all um, mindful that uh, there's uncertain times in terms of forecasting future inflation, and we'll be watching it carefully. But at the moment. Uh, uh, it, it is it is fairly well constrained, and uh, and I think our near term assumptions seem fairly realistic. Roger that. Thank you. And Jared Serbu. 
Morning, Mr. Secretary. Uh, Jared Serbe with Federal News Radio. If I can uh, ask a GIFCOM question, since that's part of the efficiency savings. From what General Odierno said last week, it sounded like most or almost all the jobs that are being eliminated in the disestablishment down there are contractor positions. Can you talk about why the civilian contractor mix worked out that way? Was this a conscious effort to reduce the contracting workforce? Well, I think overall, Secretary Gates feels we probably are depending too much on contractors, not just at GIFCOM, but broadly. And as you know, uh, he has uh, directed some selected reductions in contractors performing staff augmentee roles. But as far as GIFCOM goes, I believe that, that there was an analysis of what needed to be, with the remaining tasks that needed to be done and who should best do them uh, in terms of uh, both cost, uh, being cost effective and making sure that we don't have contractors doing any inherently governmental tasks. And that led uh, to, the, uh, to the reductions that you see proposed, which you're right, are, are, are heavy on contractors with regard to GIFCOM. I don't think there was any going in position of I absolutely have to cut so many contractors, um, but rather how can we best accomplish the mission. Thank you, sir. And Dale. Uh, good morning, sir. This is Dale Kissinger from MilitaryAvenue.com. Secretary Gates has called service members the military's uh, greatest strategic asset. Um, and uh, since about 60% have families, would you say there was something in this budget that the families should cheer about? Oh, I think so. We're investing $8.3 billion in family support, or asking for it in fiscal 12, $8.3 billion in family support programs, another half a billion in our wartime budget for a total of 8.8. .8 for a variety of initiatives, uh, child care centers, uh, family counseling, uh, 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 spousal assistance, uh, warfighter services. Uh, so and, in addition to a, a robust uh, request for funding for military health care, uh, which not only serves our or provides care to our military personnel, but also to their families. So we believe that we fully support the president's uh, initiative for military families. And so I think there's a good deal to cheer about or, or be comforted by uh, in this budget with regard to military families. We recognize they're an important part of the military and we're doing uh, all we can to meet their needs. Uh, thank you very much, sir. And Chuck. Hello? Uh, Chuck Simmons? Yeah. Uh, good morning, sir. Chuck Simmons Hi, from Chuck. America's North Shore Journal. I wanted to ask about uh, funding for humanitarian efforts, um, such as um, the Haitian earthquake or the Pakistani flooding. Um, how do you account for that in the budget, and um, how does it affect um, uh, the money uh, needed for war fighting, um, does, does do they come out of the same pot? Um, how does that work? We have a fund, Chuck, called ODACA, the Overseas Humanitarian Disaster and Civic Assistance, if I got that right, yeah, uh, fund, uh, which... Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember the n exact number. It's 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 in the one to two hundred million range, I believe. I don't have the exact number in my head, uh, and and we request that each year from the Congress. It, it, 
we obviously don't know, hope we don't spend it, frankly, uh, but uh, want it there as a base for beginning operations. Now, when we got into a situation like Haiti a little more than a year ago, it was quite clear from the outset that we would need more funding uh, than we had available in the ODACA fund at that time. And so we asked the Congress for a reprogramming of funds uh, from other, actually, wartime portion, the wartime portion of our budget, and into ODACA, and they allowed us to do that uh, to pay for the Haitian operation, which was several times what was in ODACA. So, bottom line, answer to your question: We ask for a, an amount of funds to get us at least get us started, hopefully to cover all of our needs. Uh, and if we need more, then yes, we would need to dip into other portions of the budget. Thank you. Thank you very much. And on to Sandra. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Mr. Secretary. Sandra Arwen with National Defense Magazine. Uh, I wanted to ask you about contracting reductions. Uh, Secretary Gates had directed a 10% reduction in contracting services in just based on the overall spending level that we're told is about $200 billion a year. I don't believe that we're seeing in this budget a $20 billion reduction or is there such a such a reduction in this budget, in the 12 budget? And can you talk a little bit about how much actually you're cutting from contracting services? Uh, yes, I can. First off, the the, uh, the reduction that Secretary Gates uh, proposed is in contractors doing staff augmentation uh, activities, which are essentially contractors uh, who who are filling uh, the, the same role as a government uh, person might, uh, a number of them here at the Pentagon. That's a, s a small subset of our total contracting workforce. Uh, we estimate there are about 26,000 contractors performing staff augmentee functions, and they are the ones who would be subject to a 10% cut a year for the next three years for fiscal 11, 12, and 13. And that, we estimate, over the 12, uh, five years from 12 to 16 would save us about $6 billion. There are some other selected contractor cuts being imposed by the services as part of their overall belt tightening. Um, I don't have an aggregate figure for those, but but it certainly won't be a 10% cut on our total contractors uh, for, for the entire Department of Defense, but rather focused on these uh, staff augmentees. So, so the services, is it's at their discretion how much they want to cut. There's no guidelines specific from DOD. No specific uh, guidelines. The services were given overall targets uh, for reductions in support operations, and, and they were allowed to propose how they do it. And some of them did propose contractor cuts that would go beyond these staff augmentee reductions. Uh, but again, they're, they're not in the 10% a year for all of our contractors. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. And on to Sean. Hello? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Hello, Mr. Hale. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Could you say a little bit about the $2.3 that's in there for cybersecurity? And um, in particular, I was wondering, uh, the Secretary mentioned yesterday that there was half a billion for DARPA, or uh, I believe it might have been you, actually, that said there was half a billion for DARPA research on cybersecurity. Is that included in the $2.3 billion? And, and can you just say a little bit about what's in the $2.3 billion? 
Uh, yes, I can try. Um, first off, it does include the $500 million for DARPA for S&T, and that is uh, one year that's in fiscal 12, we're requesting those funds. A major effort uh, to uh, provide us some new technology to both identify and counter cyber threats. A number of other categories there. I'm not the world's expert uh, on uh, on cyber, but a number of other categories are involved. Uh, for example, uh, some additional training of, 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 of cyber-capable personnel. I think we realized a couple of years ago we did not have enough in-house capability to uh, properly uh, identify and, and counter these threats. Um, extra funds aimed at cyber identification, monitoring, and enforcement. We are also looking at uh, some efforts uh, consistent with the laws and overall government policies to extend cyber protection to defense companies. We recognize that or feel like we've got the we're working in the right direction in terms of providing cybersecurity in the dot mil uh, portion uh, of the internet, but. Defense companies also have important information that needs to be safeguarded, and we have a pilot to, to see if we can extend some of the capabilities to them. Hope that answers your question. I'm, uh, I'm not going to be able to go too deep. You may know more, more about this than I do. Uh, it is important uh, to us. We recognize uh, that this is a, a serious area where we are subject to attack and are being attacked, frankly, uh, and, and we need to counter it, in, including in our efforts of standing up of the cyber command as part of the strategic uh, command to focus our efforts to uh, organizationally focus our efforts. Thank you. And somebody else joined us, I believe. Uh, can I get your name? Uh, it was Chuck and uh, I had dropped out. Roger that, Chuck. Uh, so next is Kristen. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. This is um, Kristen Major with Aviation Week. Thanks for joining us. I had a Hi. question about the um, O&M budget. In fiscal 12's request, we see about $19 billion in O&M cut from the OCO budget, but you end up compensating for this loss by building an additional $20 billion into the O&M-based budget. Um, but from fiscal 2013 to 16, we see about $50 billion budgeted for the OCO account across the board. So I guess my question is, how do you plan in the future years to transfer the O&M funding um, from this diminishing OCO account to the baseline um, until, you know, from 2013 to 2016? Well, let me take a shot, and then I'm going to add, because uh, I'm not sure I fully understand. But first off, uh, we make a programmatic estimate of our OCO requirements for the budget year for fiscal 12. Frankly, that's a pretty big challenge to forecast where you're going to be in a war uh, 18 months uh, before you finish executing, or in some cases more than 18 months. We do not try to make OCO, programmatic OCO estimates beyond the budget year. In fiscal years 13 to 16, there is a placeholder in the budget of $50 billion, and it is no more than that. Uh, it, it, it probably is too low in the early part of the years. It may be too high in the uh, later part of the fiscal uh, 13 to 16 period, depending on what happens in Afghanistan. I think you were referring to the, we call it OCO to base transition. We are trying to move funds uh, from the OCO budget that are paying for activities we believe will be enduring into the base, uh, frankly, during the 
period after 9-11, we uh, mushed together some of our budgets. That's a technical term, that mushing together some of our budgets and are paying for some things out of OCO, which we know or we believe we will want to keep. For example, a good part of our Special Operations Command funding is in OCO. Well, much of that uh, we are going to want to keep on an enduring basis uh, even after the Afghan war is over. So we're trying to move that money back uh, as our physical situation uh, allows. Have I answered your question? Um, yes, thank you. And I was just wondering, I mean, do you foresee this transition being a problem? Do you foresee it being tough? Um, do you see any programs in particular where maintenance um, might be an issue in this transition specifically? I, I think there are potential problems. One of them is finding headroom in the base budget to get these OCO expenditures back. But I think we also need to be honest with ourselves. We may not fully understand what it's going to cost to operate forces when they finally get back uh, from war. Uh, I mean, some of these units or, or many portions of these units have, have been at war for a decade. Their tables of organization equipment have changed. Some of their training activities have changed. So I think there's some uncertainty about how much it will cost uh, when we are back on a peacetime basis. We are working closely with the military services and essentially done our best estimate, and that's what we're using in the OCO to base transition, but I think there is some inherent uncertainty. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, was there anybody on the line that did not get to ask a question? All right. I think we have time for one or two follow-ups. Andrew, uh, did you have a follow-up? Yes, I do. Uh, Sir Andrew Lupe in Legendac Magazine. So with future conflicts being uh, more coin than conventionally uh, oriented, in the next generation or so, isn't America's defense best served by perhaps cutting back a nuclear submarine or, or a nuclear carrier or so instead of cutting the Marines and soldiers who are actually doing the work on the ground? Well, you know, I, I think there's one thing that's clear uh, is that we're not really good about forecasting where we might have to fight next. We hope we don't have to. but. Um, I mean, a, a couple of years before Afghanistan, I, I, I don't think we would have guessed we would be fighting a major war there. Uh, and, and so we know we need to focus on, and we are focusing on, current wars and capability for them now. I mentioned heavy investment in ISR capability. We have increased the size of the ground forces over the last four years. But as we look out to the future, we believe we need a broad base of modernization, uh, and also we may have to make some uh, some reductions in ground forces in order to have a balanced uh, force and an affordable one. We need a broad base of modernization because we're just not sure where we will have to deter or, if necessary, fight uh, future conflicts. It's a lot of uncertainty. Okay, thank you. And Tom, did you have a follow-up? Uh, not at this time. Thank you very much, sir. Jared? I'm all set. Thanks. And Dale? Yes, sir. This is Dale Kissinger, Military Avenue again. Um, I saw there's $900 million in the uh, budget for Air Force KCX tankers. Uh, since uh, most of the tankers in the Air Force right now are as old as the pilot's grandparents, uh, the plan is only for 12 a year. Is that going to meet the requirements that we're going to have in the uh, follow-on? Well, get us started. I mean, we recognize just how critical tankers are as enablers, um, and it will get us going. I think the first 
planned by, if I recall, is going to replace about a third of the fleet. We may not have to replace them plane for plane, depending on uh, capability, but we will obviously have to look at uh, whether we uh, continue that program beyond to, play, uh, to replace a, a greater portion of the fleet. The key is to get going. You no doubt know, know the tortured history of this program. Uh, we are hopeful uh, that uh, we are hopeful that that we will make a contract award in about a month uh, and that we can get going. The $900 million is RDT&E uh, spending, uh, but we hope procurement will begin around, uh, I think, in fiscal 13, actually. Um, so we're, we're getting started is, is the answer on what is a very important project to the Air Force and to the entire Department of Defense, and we'll have to uh, decide at, at downstream whether we continue and replace a greater portion of the fleet. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. And uh, I think we're just about out of time. Uh, with that, sir, I'd, I'd like to thank you for your time today, and thank you to all the bloggers on the line. Uh, did you have any close, closing comments, sir? Uh, no, I, I appreciate uh, if you're uh, covering some of these hard choices we are asking the Congress to make, uh, like terminating uh, weapons where we feel the money would be better spent elsewhere, like uh, military health uh, changes, and at least uh, making the point that I believe the department has made uh, some tough choices, and now we need the United States Congress to listen to our rationale and uh, if we convince them we're right, uh, to make the hard votes that allow us to go forward. I appreciate your uh, efforts and your thinking about national security, and I'm glad I was able to spend a half hour with you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, once again, thank you to everybody on the line for your time. Today's program will be available online at the blogger's link on DODLive.mil, where you'll be able to access a story based on today's call, along with source documents such as this audio file and a print transcript. Again, thank you, Mr. Hale. Uh, this concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.